0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of What's the Crime? You are here with Gronje and Gemma. Hello. <laughs> and today I am going to tell you the story of the disappearance of eight year old Maddie Clifton. Eight year old Maddie Clifton is described as a little girl that always had a big smile, she had freckles and chestnut brown hair. And she loved to play basketball, football, dance and play piano. Very talented. She was always giggling and she was described as tough as nails. On November 3rd, 1998, Maddie comes home from school at around 4.30pm. So firstly, her mum asks her to help take down the Halloween decorations, which she does. And then she sits down to practice on her piano. So about 20 minutes later after this, um, she leaves her house to hit some golf balls with their neighbor Larry Gresham, who lives at the end of the street. Larry is like a forty-something-year-old man, so right, yeah. Alarm
1: bells for she's playing. yeah straight away. I think that's strange that he's playing with an, hitting golf balls in an eight-year-old, eight-year-old girl. Thing.
0: So by six twenty p.m., Maddie's mother Sheila Clifton goes outside and calls her children in to come in and get their dinner. Jessica, who is Maddie's older sister, she comes home straight away and she tells her mother that she hasn't seen Maddie in a while. Sheila starts knocking on her neighbour's doors, asking if anyone has seen Maddie. When nobody has seen her, her panic starts to mount and she asks her neighbours to help her look for Maddie. She starts to get so distressed and so worried that by 6:33 pm, she calls 911 informing them that her daughter is missing.
1: So, this is literally 10 minutes after after she hasn't
0: come home. So, she goes out and calls her at 6:20, well, approximately. And by 6:33, she's already called 911. So, this is clearly out of the ordinary. Yeah. It's obviously not her her character for her not to come home. Exactly the whole neighborhood is out searching for Maddie. Children, adults, all of the neighbors. They've got flashlights, they're calling her name. And among those is their neighbor's son, 14 year old playmate of Maddie's, Joshua Phillips. So Maddie is very fond of Josh. They're really good friends and he's obviously really distressed as well that they can't find her. So despite hours of searching almost all night by the whole community, she's not found. So the following day, A Jacksonville detective goes door to door asking the neighbours about Maddie's disappearance. One person that keeps coming up is Larry Grisham. Yeah, that's the first person I thought of. So that's the man that I was saying that Maddie was last seen chipping golf balls with. So Larry tells the police, yes, they were chipping golf balls, but Maddie went home at around 5.15pm to get more golf balls. I don't know what chipping actually means, but I assume it's just like hitting golf balls. He said she never came back and he didn't think anything of it. He just assumed that she decided to stay at home or her parents wouldn't let her back out or she had to get her dinner or whatever. Larry, however, is no stranger to police. He has 29 charges to his name. The charges vary from auto theft, driving under the influence and two counts of sexual battery five years apart. Both charges were dropped. And, like, aside from that, he's a 45-year-old man. Yeah, I was
1: going to say, what age is he again? 45? 45,
0: yeah. And he's, like, out playing with children. It's just not looking good for him. uh,
1: Yeah, it's not looking good, okay. He was the last person to be seen with Mary, right? Yes. Okay.
0: So, obviously, like, you're going to want them to check his home to find her. The police search Larry's home nine times. He is questioned 20 times, and he also fails a polygraph. I, however, absolutely don't agree with polygraphs. I said it before and I'll say it again. I just don't see a point. They can't be used in court. Like you cannot tell when someone is lying.
1: Anyway. I think though sometimes they use them to, if someone is lying, to nearly like scare them. Freak them out. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. I, so I wouldn't he do fails one. his. He fails his.
0: However, he is able to provide a strong alibi. Um, I couldn't actually find out what his alibi was. It just, you know, in my research, all I could find was that it was a strong alibi. So I assume he's like with people or a group of people or whatever. He's someone to back up his alibi, right? Yeah. And he also readily gives police a sample of his DNA. So he's like, yep, you know, I'll do whatever. So for nearly a week, Steve, which is Maddie's father, and Sheila, her mother, scour the streets looking for their daughter. It's every parent's worst nightmare. Mm. Countless neighbours and volunteers tirelessly search streets, woodlands, swamps, dustbins, anywhere they can think of for any signs of Maddie. On that Friday, authorities call in the US Army Reserve to examine culverts and manholes. Missing persons posters are printed and the neighbourhood are handing them out to everybody, taping them on poles, trees, shop fronts and people are wearing yellow ribbons and they hanging them in trees in the hope of finding Maddie alive. So there is so many people out there, so many people trying to help with this. They really want to get the word out. Yeah. But despite everyone's best efforts, Maddie seems to have vanished without a trace. Hope is ebbing and the community are on edge. So the Cliftons at this stage are desperate to find Maddie and they approach the press in a bid to find her. They beg her captors to let her go and even offer a $50,000 reward for the renews of her whereabouts with the possibility of doubling it for her return.
1: So, like, that's a lot of money. Yeah, and especially back in 1998. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of money now, but yeah. it's, it would have been huge back then. Yeah,
0: so it's getting so much press. Her face appears on t-shirts on more than 10 billboards across Jacksonville. Her face is broadcast on television. And they are just waiting and praying and hoping that Maddie will come back and that she's going to be okay. So seven days after Maddie's disappearance, the Cliftons are just wrapping up a segment for Good Morning America, talking about their daughter and making a plea for any news on her disappearance. They speak about their Christian faith and how they're praying for her and they're drawing comfort from that. At the same time that the television crew are packing up their equipment in the Clifton house, a neighbour makes a grisly discovery that will abruptly end the search for Maddie. Melissa, or otherwise known as Messe Phillips,
1: was tidying her son Josh's room. So this is one of Maddie's really good friends that was distraught. Yes. Whenever he was searching. Okay. Fourteen year old
0: Josh had been really good friends with Maddie and yes, like I said, distraught by her disappearance and his mum decided while he was at school that she was going to clean out his room. So she said that there was a foul odour coming from his room and that, you know, he was using air fresheners and stuff and it just wasn't covering it up. He had like two birds, two budgies or something in a cage in his room and she assumed that that's what the smell was coming from them or something or, you know, teenage boys, maybe like it was an old rotten school lunch or just something. Yeah. She then notices a damp spot on the floor at the corner of Josh's waterbed and she thinks maybe his waterbed is leaking. So she inspects the bed frame and she sees tape holding one of the corners together. So she peels the tape apart and she goes and gets a flashlight to see what's going on with the bed, why Josh had tried to tape it and see inside the bed. Suddenly she recoils in horror. There in Josh's waterbed she sees two small feet in white socks, sticking out. Oh my gosh. I know. So Missy is in a state of panic and shock. She phones her husband. She says, get home now. It's an emergency. She knows the police are still in the neighbourhood searching for Maddie. So she runs outside and sees Officer Donald Tootin in his marked police car.
1: So the police are literally outside her they door. They are
0: patrolling the neighbourhood still searching for Maddie. Literally outside. He looks up, he can see she is sobbing She looks absolutely distraught She can barely verbalise anything And she tells him he needs to see something She can't even say what she'd seen He sees how horrified she looks And he radios for backup She doesn't even want to go back into the room She points the police in the direction of the waterbed With the all too familiar smell of death and decay The police know what they're about to find I know Now, the police had previously investigated Joshua and his parents. So although he was a person of interest as Maddie's friend, he wasn't a suspect. On November 9th, which was just days before her discovery, police officers had actually been in his room. So according to their reports of being in his room, there is a strong smell of decomposition What? So they had actually wrote that down in their reports. So Did they not search the room? I don't know. I mean, how could you just write that and then walk away and leave it? You know what I mean? It's so... They didn't investigate that further.
1: Yeah.
0: Strange. So strange. So Joshua is immediately fetched from school and taken to the police station where he makes a full confession. He says, Maddie came over to his house and wanted to play. He says they played baseball outside, um, but he wasn't really allowed to have anyone over when his parents weren't there. And at the time of this, his parents were still at work. He said he accidentally hit her on her left eye and she started to cry. He starts to panic that his parents, particularly his father, I think his father was had a bad temper. And he was like, oh my God, my dad's going to be mad at me for having someone over when they weren't here. So he drags her into the house and into his room. She is still crying loudly. She has a cut on her eye and she is bleeding and he starts to panic, takes a baseball bat and hits her over the head. Not once, not twice, but three times. So she is still moaning and he then takes a knife that he keeps on his bookshelf and slashes at her neck, (sighs) stabbing her twice. He then opens the side of his waterbed and shoves Maddie into the existing cavity. It gets worse. He leaves to go and wash his hands. And when he comes back, he can still hear her whimpering in the bed. So he opens it, pulls her out and stabs her in the chest nine more times (sighs) until she stops breathing. He then stuffs her back under and hears no more from her. So when the police later removed her body, her hand was still clutching, um, the frame of his bed. So she'd been alive. Oh no,
1: I know. So she was alive, and he pushed yeah. her back in. Yeah. How did he? And then he proceeded to carry on for like and go to sleep he slept, he slept, in that slept bed on that bed
0: he slept on that bed for that rest of and that week and went
1: to school everything was normal
0: so you know when i was saying that his room smelled and he had been like using air fresheners, fresheners. he obviously knew that it was starting to smell like what was his plan <gasps> oh god so Maddie is also found naked from the waist down and he explains that her underwear must have come off when he was dragging her into the house Many actually argue that this was a premeditated attack because there was no dirt found on her body which would have, you know, coincided with her being dragged from the outside to the inside. Although there was no evidence of sexual assault, um, like I said, her shorts and her underwear were not on her and her sister Jessica, her elder sister, she also recalls times in the past when Josh would talk inappropriately about sex around the two girls. On Thursday the 19th of November, 1998, Joshua Phillips is indicted for the first-degree murder of Maddie Clifton. So despite Florida having a death penalty for a crime like this, he escaped that fate because of his age. He's only 14 at the time of the murder. A re-sentencing actually came about 19 years later in 2017. Josh was tried as an adult even though he was only 14, And his case was one of 80 that made their way back to the Supreme Court after a ruling in 2012 that made it unlawful to automatically send useful offenders away for life. Their argument is something like, you know, scientific studies on brain development show that, like, your adolescent brain is more impulsive and, anyway, like, you're 14, you know right from wrong. Yeah. So a now 33-year-old Josh at this resentencing admitted that he was in a sexually aroused state when he killed Maddie because he had been watching graphic and violent pornography for thirty minutes before the murder. Oh, they learned he was obsessed with her older sister Jessica and had actually broken into their house several times when they were away on trips and fishing trips and stuff. And they learned that after the murder he went back to his computer to watch more oh, pornography. God. At this stage, though, in prison, he's a model inmate, he got his diploma to be a certified law clerk, and he has reformed, and he says he's genuinely remorseful for his act. You know, before the resentencing hearing, he did say that he would like a second chance, but he wasn't sure whether or not he deserved one, going as far as to say, quote, Maybe I deserve to die in prison. However, even at this hearing, the jury's verdict stood and his sentence remained life in prison. He was sentenced to life in prison a second time and in 2023, he will be eligible for a resentencing trial 25 years after the crime. So Maddie's mother, uh, speaking about her grief, she says that she doesn't think she's ever going to be able to forgive Josh for what he'd done to their daughter, understandably. Yeah. She stated that, quote, we were raising our girls in a Christian home where we prayed every day. What we didn't know was that the devil himself had moved in right across the street, unquote.
1: It's heartbreaking, isn't it? It's just this little eight-year-old girl. This
0: little innocent girl. And I actually read um, a book on this murder. It's called Kids Who Kill by Catherine McMaster. And it's where I got a lot of the information for this episode. And another person that I really felt for in the situation was Joshua's mum Missy Phillips Obviously she Found Maddie's body and I think the trauma Of finding that alone would just be yeah. So hard to deal with And not only that but she lost her son Like you know, Did she, she
1: have any indication of She
0: said he was a completely normal Child he was never aggressive. He was popular at school. He had animals that he took such good care of. Do you know how, when you hear of like serial killers or killers, you hear that they like yeah. might have hurt animals in the past? She said that he loved his animals and he was so gentle. And like the shock that must have caused her. Oh my.
1: Gosh, it's traumatized, absolutely traumatized, and forever more.
0: And then she said that, like, for her, she had to deal with him in prison and, you know, she said he was only 14 and he was in prison with these older men and you know how they were talked about by the press, their home got vandalised and I just think that it must have been so difficult for her too.
1: Yeah, definitely. But nothing compared to what Maddie's family must be going through and what poor Maddie had to go through.
0: The real victim in this situation is Maddie, who was only eight years old. She had her whole life ahead of her, but it was cruelly taken away from her before she'd ever really had a chance to love it. Okay guys, we hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can tune in next week for a brand new episode of What's the Crime. And please like and subscribe. And also you can catch us on Instagram or Facebook at What's the Crime. Thanks for listening. Bye.